There are very few of us who are touched deeply by the metaphor of the Lord is my shepherd or sheep and, and shepherds. Partly this is because we don't know enough about shepherds and sheep for it to be significant. Are there any sheep farmers in this place today or, or any close attachment? One sheep farmer. I know that not to be true. Uh, uh, Chris said he was a sheep farmer. I think you may have gone to boarding school with sheep or, or something. Um, but the, there's, very, there's two. There's two here who know a lot about you. The rest of us don't. Um, it's not very significant. It, and then if you are someone who is maybe from New Zealand, and I know there's a lot more in this room today, then you come from a place where there's more sheep than there are people. And so this may even sound like a put-down, that we're just mere sheep. We're not even uh, of the few, the far between, the people. Um, but it's not. It's the furthest thing from that. When David says, the Lord is my shepherd, it's actually a boast. Psalm, so that's the first part of the psalm. Psalm 23, David begins, the Lord is my shepherd. He's boasting in this. And we, we kind of have to lift up our eyes and see what David's saying to be able to understand how significant this is. Um, David himself was a shepherd once when he lived at home. He knew uh, that being a shepherd was the lowest job that you could have in a family. David only, uh, was only a shepherd because he was the last born son in his family and none of the other brothers wanted to be a shepherd, so David got left being the shepherd. It was the, the, the worst task uh, among the brothers, um, the one that no one wanted. He also knew that sheep had enormous needs. They needed um, an enormous amount of help to get along. And so I'm going to tell you a few facts that, that let you know about sheep. Uh, I think we've got a picture of this one, Shrek, a, se- a sheep from New Zealand you may have heard about. Uh, he hid himself in a cave for six years. He didn't want to be shorn, and so he uh, went and hid himself. And when he came out, he had enough wool to make 20 men's suits. Uh, this is Shrek, the sheep. Um, did you know, fun fact, that when a sheep is pregnant or fat or heavy, or just maybe a sheep, that much like a, to- a tortoise, if it falls to its side, it's stuck. It can't get up. Did you know that? Uh, you can show the next slide, Brian. This is called a cast sheep. And the shepherd has to go and pick it up or it will get left in it. Now, what do you suppose happens if you baked outside with your feet and hands in the air all day? You, you would die. You would get sunburned. You would, you would end up dying. Uh, and the same is true for sheep. And so they need a shepherd to come alongside and pick it up and put it back on its feet. And then if you look at a sheep's eye, uh, sheep have nearly 360-degree vision with their rectangular uh, eyeball. And the, the thing about this is they're easily distracted. They see everything. <laughs> Do, does this sound at all like anyone you know? <laughs> look no further. Uh, so a few of you are poking the person next to you, but look no further than the mirror to go someone who's easily distracted. I was enjoying, not, not thoroughly enjoying a lie. I was watching my son do some homework this morning Kind of. Homework this morning, surf reports, uh, some other websites, etc., etc. But he was intended, what what was happening? His sheep eye was observing a whole bunch of distractions that seemed more interesting than the homework. Um, And such are all of us, that we are easily distracted by some things um, that lead us astray from where we should be. It's the opposite of having blinkers. When David boasts, the Lord is my shepherd, he knew what he was talking about, Right? So what's in a name? When you were born, someone gave you a name. The doctors can't do it. The midwife can't do it. 
uh, I believe in Australia, not even the government is allowed to give you a name. Uh, your parents have to give you a name, I, I believe. And so someone close to you who knows you intimately gave you a name. And when they gave you a name, it was a name that probably meant something to them. It may have been someone important, may have been someone who made a significant impact on their lives, may have been someone they wanted you to grow up to be like, um, or it may have been a name that has a, has a special meaning behind it, and they're speaking that over you. Um, so we ask each other questions, you know, if we don't, un- if we don't know each other's names, it's, it's unusual. Oh, what does that mean? What does your name mean? Um, because an, it, there's a meaning behind a name, and we're interested. What's the story behind your name? Um, and that's, that's good, and, and that's what we want to see what David's pointing at here with the Lord. Um, God has a name, and did you know that God's name is not God? Did you know that God's name wasn't given to him by anyone else? When you had a, had a name given to you, and, and some of you in this room have had your name changed as well, when you, when you had your name given to you, someone had authority to stamp you with an identity forever. No one has that over God. No one could give Him a name. You, you can call Him what you want, but God is not His name. It's, a, it's, a, it's something that we use to refer to, to Him, but that's not His first name. What is God's name? How did God get His name? Well, God gave Himself a name, and God told us His name. Moses was walking along. What was Moses doing? He had run from Egypt. He was taking care of sheep. Moses was a shepherd of his father-in-law's sheep, and he was taking them along, and he saw uh, a bush that was burning, or had fired, it was on fire, but it wasn't burning up. And like, you, like him, we would stop to see this interesting sight, right? Wow, there's a tree on fire, and it's not burning up. What's going on? And as he drew close, a voice uh, spoke to him and said, uh, do not come near, take off your shoes, this is holy ground you're walking on. And he took his shoes off, and he approached uh, in a sacred way, that, that something holy was happening, that he was encountering the divine. Um, and then this voice said to him that he was going to use Moses to free the people of Israel, to set them free, to take them out of their imprisonment and their slavery from Egypt, and to bring thousands and thousands and thousands of uh, Israelites who were the, the workers of the powerful um, Pharaoh, and that he was going to, this Moses was going to just take them out. And Moses said, well, who am I supposed to say sent me? Who are you? What's your name? And the voice spoke to him and replied to Moses and said, I am who I am. And he said, tell them the Lord sent you. That's his name. His name is the, the I am. Uh, the Lord means, uh, these are the same. The Lord means the I am, the I am who I, I am. And uh, we'll look at what that means in a moment. But whenever your Bible says Lord, you'll find that it's in capital letters, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, if it's referring to God. That's because it's His name. If you were Jewish, you would never say His name. If you look at a Jewish text, it will just have, like, uh, it, it will have the missing letters with some other kind of signs to show that they're talking about the Lord, but they would refuse to say it. They would revere His holy name. And when David says, you know, who's my shepherd? The Lord is my shepherd. He uses the first name for God. He's very specific about who is his shepherd. Not any God, not universal God, not God of all religions. He, the Lord is my God. 
Sorry, the Lord is my shepherd. Like other names, God's name uh, speaks to who God is. So Lord means that He's self-sufficient. I am who I am. I, uh, means that God needs nothing, first of all. He needs no wisdom from anyone else. He has all the wisdom in Himself. He needs no power. He is all-powerful. He does not need to be worshipped or helped or served. Nor is He accountable to anyone. He answers only to Himself, writes Boyce. This is not like a parent-child relationship or where the parent is wiser or more powerful or more uh, self-sufficient than the child. And so when the child is trying to tell the parent what to do, it's a little bit offensive because it's, it's the lesser telling the greater in terms of wisdom or power what they ought to think and know and do, right? And this is not like that. God is not just more powerful, more wise. God is all-powerful, all-wise. There is no limit to His power and wisdom and sufficiency. There is nothing He doesn't know that He needs to know. There is nothing He is unable to do in, in terms of power. Absolutely nothing. No limit. Limitless. All-sufficient. Self-sufficient. This is the Lord. Secondly, His name means that He's unchanging. That means that God was the same, is the same, and always will be the same. When you and I walk with Jesus in a relationship with Him, we change. The Bible tells us that uh, the Holy Spirit is changing us to become like Jesus, that He's transforming us into the image of Christ. If you're not changing, that's a bad thing. If I'm not changing, that's a bad thing, because the Holy Spirit is changing us to be more like Jesus, and that's a good thing, because Jesus is so wonderful. But for God to change would be terrible, because God is God. Because God is perfect and holy. We sang it this morning. God never changes. He's unchanging. That's who He is. And if you can get to know, I mean, that's a, that's a wonderful uh, thing because it's not like you have to get to know God again tomorrow or next week or next month. What will He be like? You, you will only ever get to know God as He always has been and always will be. So when you learn something about God, that's concrete knowledge. It will never change. That is who He is. If you discover John 3.16, or John, just go read John, if you discover that God is love, that's it. God is love. That will never change. God is love. If you discover that God is holy, God is holy. If God is worthy of your praise, God will always be worthy of your praise. He is always Never changing. <laughs> I don't think that's correct English, but you understand what I'm saying. So how are we to think about this God? Surprisingly, this all-knowing, all-powerful, self-sustaining God is seen as our shepherd. Now let that just break your mind. The lowest brother in the family becomes a shepherd. That's understandable. This God, which we've just described, the Lord... Is my shepherd the lowest job in a family? He has condescended himself to be amongst me in my life, to engage in my life, to walk with me and talk with me, to pick me up when I fall on my back, to lead me to pastures where I could feed. And we say, whoa, David, hold on. 
I, I got what you said at first, but I don't understand now what you're saying. You can't, you can't be right. You can't have it both ways. But this is exactly what David said. We might say like, a, you know, those, I don't know if you had a, I don't know, uh, this experience, but back in the day, this is how old I am. Back in the day, if you said something really bad, you might get like your, your mouth washed out with soap or um, the, the threats of chili put on your tongue. Um, now, kids might hear about those stories nowadays, but when I was a kid, it actually happened. Uh, and especially if grandma was around, it definitely <laughs> happened. Um, but that's how, how you might feel like, David, watch your mouth. The Lord is my shepherd. Who do you th- David, careful about how you speak about the Lord. But we find out that that's exactly what God is. Shepherds didn't live at home. They lived with the sheep 24 hours a day. You have a job, probably, or you go to school if you don't have a job yet. And that takes up some of your day, but not all of your day. You don't go live at work or at school, right? You go, you go, might, might feel like you live there, but you don't. But shepherds did. The shepherd's job never ended. Day or night, weekends. Oh, imagine that in Perth. You not, don't get a day off, no ways. Summer, winter, the shepherd was on duty. The shepherd always had to provide and protect for his sheep. He was, it was always his task to provide and protect for the sheep. It was never placed upon any sheep to provide and protect for the other sheep. No sheep was ever made the captain of the flock. There were no co-leaders or vice-leaders or under-leaders. They were always sheep. Even the best sheep was still just a sheep. It was always the shepherd's job to provide and protect for the sheep. A bad-behaving sheep was not sacrificed to the lion or the, or the bear to save the rest of the sheep. The shepherd would go against the lion and the bear to protect all the sheep collectively. A story is told that there was a bad shepherd whose flock stood on the fence line next to one another, gazing at the sheep in the other paddock who were well shepherded and who were well, they were led to green pastures and they looked longingly. And the shepherd on the green pasture side said, if he could put words in the sheep's mouths, they would be begging, longing, saying, let me give anything to be among those sheep. A shepherd determines the quality of the sheep's life. Think about that a little bit. The goodness or badness of the shepherd determines the quality of the sheep's life. So David was very proud to call God his shepherd and begin his psalm boasting, the Lord is my shepherd. Jesus claimed to be Lord and shepherd. This is, this is when it becomes profoundly personal for you and I. Especially if you're in a relationship with Jesus. If you're curious about Jesus, this is really helpful for you. But if you're already in a relationship with Jesus, He's your Lord and Savior, and you've placed your faith in Him, this becomes profoundly intimate because it becomes a truth over your life as well. Um, I'll tell you about the Lord one. One day, some deadly religious people surrounded Jesus, and they took Him to tasks with their, task with their questions. And they asked Him who He was, and they asked Him this question, uh, how, how do you speak as though you know Abraham or you knew Abraham? Abraham died hundreds of years ago. How do you, Jesus, know Abraham? And he replied to them, I am. And what did they do? Picked up stones to kill him. Why? Because he had blasphemed calling himself God. In other words, he, had, he said, not only do I know Abraham, 
I created Abraham. I called Abraham. I made a covenant with Abraham. Abraham was only ever pointing you to me. And they couldn't bear and they picked up stones. And then it says this beautiful phrase. It's a bit mysterious. It says, and Jesus was hidden. Was Jesus hidden by his disciples or was he hidden by the Spirit? Did he become impossible for them to see or did he just get around the corner? But it says, Jesus was hidden and got away. And they couldn't kill him because it wasn't his time yet. I suspect the Holy Spirit helped because it was a pretty big crowd. Two pages later, if you're reading it in the, in the Gospel of John, two pages later, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Well, in a very short space of time, Jesus has claimed to be the I am, the Lord, and the good shepherd. He's claimed to be the, the person that David is talking about in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Jesus is claiming to be this. This is how God's providence works. I love this. I'm, I'm just going to try to try follow the kind of the chronology of this. David was born last so that David would experience being a shepherd. So that when he was called to be king of Israel, he would still think like a shepherd. So that when he wrote his psalm, he would write about the Lord being his shepherd. So that when Jesus came and fulfilled that scripture that David was always talking about, Jesus could fulfill the psalm to say, I am the Lord, the good shepherd. I am the shepherd. So that you and I could say, the Lord is my shepherd. In other words, David's whole life was designed providentially so that you could get to a moment where you could read Psalm 23 and it could be your word speaking, the Lord Jesus is my shepherd. God worked out a gazillion things over the course of time so that you could know the Lord is my shepherd. God's providence is amazing. and God will use your life so that others might know His goodness. We don't necessarily have to understand why. You imagine young David. Why do I have to face the lion and the bear? Some prophet has anointed me king of Israel and I'm sacrificing my life for sheep with lions and bears. He had to so that we would understand what it means that the Lord is our shepherd. But here comes the problem. Potential. Dallas Willard writes, I'm just going to read it because I don't think I can improve it. One of our greatest needs today is for people to really see and really believe that the things they already profess to see and believe, knowing about things, knowing what they are, being able to identify them and say them, does not mean we actually believe them. When we truly believe what we profess, we are set to act as if it were true. Acting as if things are true means, in turn, that we live as if they were so. You understand that? We can leave it up for a little bit so you can just read it a couple of times. <coughs> but basically what Dallas Willard is saying is, if the Lord is my shepherd, if the Lord is actually my shepherd, then I can expect to experience the truth that the Lord is my shepherd. But if I'm not actually experiencing the truth of His shepherd, He's saying, then it's because I don't live in what I believe. In other words, He is not the one that's, that's do, not connected, that's not that needs to change, that needs to do something different. I need to live in what I profess to believe. I need to lean into it. I need to take a step into it. 
And I need to make it my, part of my life. My life needs to be shaped and framed around this truth, which I believe the Lord is my shepherd. But if I'm not experiencing His shepherding, it's because I've never stepped into the truth of it. And I don't think that's black and white, in or out. That can happen daily. Step in, step out. Step in, step out. I'm not worried, I'm worried. I'm not anxious, I'm anxious. So how do we diagnose if someone, uh, if we are someone who, one, on the one hand, knows about good things, what they are, able to identify them, able to say them to others. In other words, how we, could we identify if we merely Christians by language and culture, that we know the things that we profess. We, you know, we can, like a child from Sunday school, we can say all the things. We can say what the gospel is. We can say what the Christian beliefs are. We can um, say that, that you know, we've engaged in all these, these, uh, these things. We know what to say and we know what to profess. Or if we are someone who knows something, believes something, and lives, according, lives accordingly. In other words, our life, the Christian life, is living in the Lord is my shepherd, Versus the life that's professing the Lord is my shepherd, but there's no reality to it. There's no sign of it. There's no experience of His shepherding hand. How do we diagnose this? How do we know? Uh, I think we just go to the next part of the verse, and it says the immediate result or implication of the Lord is my shepherd is, I shall not want. Well, if I'm living in wants and need, then the Lord is not my shepherd or He's not a good shepherd. You've got to make the d- decision on that. If I am living in this experience, then I know that the Lord is my shepherd. And no one can tell me that He's not. And we'll go, we're going to go a little bit deeper into that and then we're going to be done. Over the next few weeks, we're going to look at what it means to, to live in not wanting, to live in the I lack nothing. That's what it is. I lack nothing because the Lord is my shepherd. And we're going to look at that over the weeks. But today I just want to um, look at just briefly what it means to not lack. Um, a sense of lack demonstrates that I'm living outside of Jesus' care. Can you, could you agree with at least that's a logical outcome of what David's saying? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Therefore, a sense of lack, a, a feeling of lack, would be to be living outside of what Jesus wants for me, right? So I may be stuck in kind of knowing Jesus is my shepherd, but not living in that. Secondly, if I don't have lack, it means I don't always want I don't, I, sorry, I don't always get what I, I, I will or want. That's not what uh, lack means or having no lack means. It, it doesn't mean that Jesus my shepherd means Jesus my shepherd genie. And I make as many wishes as I want and then he does things for me. That's, you know that, but I, I want to get to your heart, not your head. I mean, not every, every one of you have a relationship with Jesus would not all nod your head and go, yes, I know Jesus isn't my genie. But when your life is tough, do you know that Jesus isn't your genie and you lack nothing? When you experience suffer, suffering, do you know that you lack nothing? When you get fired unjustly, do you know that you lack nothing? Or in those moments, do we want Jesus to be our genie and make things better, make them go away? Now, I might just be preaching to myself, that's at least my heart. If you're all just way more mature than me, then at least you know that you've, you've got a lot to teach me about how to uh, struggle through suffering. But thirdly, it means that I have the kingdom. 
that I have now already the kingdom that God has promised to me. Jesus said in Luke, Luke records Jesus saying, do not be afraid and anxious little flock. Afraid, afraid and anxious would be what you would be if you don't know that the Lord is your shepherd, right? Is that fair? But you don't have to be afraid and anxious because the Lord is your shepherd. And why, what, what, what comes of that? He says, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Don't be afraid. God wants to bring you the reality of his kingdom into your life. He wants to bring you into his kingdom, the experience of that. What does that look like? I'm going to go a little further, a little bit more practical. Here's what you don't need, but might want. I'm going to read it slowly. Try, try listen carefully. You don't need it, but you might want it. You might want some of it. You might want all of it. You don't need an identity that's found in the approval of other intimate relationships. In other words, you don't need popularity with one or anyone. Do you want to raise your hand if you want that? <laughs> My hand's up. Great, there's at least four of us. You don't need but might want validation of your skill or creativity or labor or intelligence in the marketplace. You don't need, but you may want, financial, a financial security blanket that tells you, suggests to you, you can weather significant storms. You don't need, but you might want, the absence of debilitating unhealth. You don't need, but you might want, avenues of entertainment, paths to pleasure, memorable moments, experiences. Those are all things we don't need, but we, we, we want. Would you agree? Is there anyone, I'm going to put you on, on, on uh, this is going to be a bit, a bit hard. Is there anyone here who goes, I don't connect to any of that? No. Good. Wonderful. This is what you do need. This is what I need. What we do need, instead of popularity, is we need a reconciled and intimate relationship with God. In other words, we need to be popular with God. Instead of validation in the marketplace, what we do need is validation that you are loved beyond all that you do and don't do, and yet you were still made to add beauty in this life and in the eternal life, and God will give you the gifts to do so. What you do need is a security that weathers every storm and looks beyond the bank balance, the contents of the fridge, and the absence of basic needs. You need an eternal inheritance. What you do need is unending, restored life after an inevitable, unavoidable death. My six-year-old just found out this week we're all dying. Seven-year-old. Ah, oh, one of my kids. <laughs> They wanted to give something special to someone, something or someone, because it was it was near death, and so she wanted. And we're like, oh, well, then you can give for all of us. We're all dying. She said, what do you mean? Like, well, you're nearer death now than you were when you asked that question, and it it hit her, her brain. Oh no! What? <laughs> well, I know it sounds like harsh parenting skills, but <laughs> but here's the point. It's true of all of us. We're all going to die one way or another. And for some of us, we might, like Sean Connery, 
fall, fall, die in our sleep. We might just fall asleep and not wake up. But for others, it might be uh, a horrible way that we near the end. But what's guaranteed is on the other side of that, a life eternal in Jesus, and that's what we need. An unending, restored life. And lastly, what we need is life in the kingdom of God that starts now. So when we say the Lord is my shepherd, what we're saying is, I'm living in an experience of the kingdom life. And though things may happen, I'm able to look beyond it and outside of it at what God is doing, is what my good shepherd, the Lord, has promised me, is what he's, at what He's doing in my life. So if I have nothing in my bank account, it, it's not the end of me. The Lord has promised to take care of me and will deliver me. And I know I have an inheritance in eternity. Imagine that you, you had uh, just a massive trust fund. Imagine you just had a, a trust fund of a billion dollars and you lost your job tomorrow. How would you feel differently? Would you, would you feel a little bit better about losing your job? You don't necessarily have direct access to the trust fund. You know it's there. You know it's coming eventually. You know you'll be all right. My point is just, just something finite would affect your heart so profoundly and so deeply. Well, what about something infinite, that you have an eternal inheritance in Christ that can never be taken away? The point is not that we don't suffer, but that in our suffering... Life in the kingdom of God changes everything. And we, like David, are able to say, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Or, I lack nothing. Charles Spurgeon said that when the Lord is my shepherd, we can say, I have all things and abound. Not because I have a good store of money in the bank. Not because I have skill and wit with which to win my bread. But because the Lord is my shepherd. You see the difference? It's not what the Lord gives us. It's not the stuff. It's the Lord. Because the Lord is my shepherd, I have no lack. Because He has no lack. My connection to Jesus takes away all other needs. Without Him, everything I have is nothing. With Him, the nothing I have is nothing. Because in Him, I will have all that I need. The Lord is my shepherd. I have no lack. Is this even possible in this life? I mean, this is true. This is going to be true. This is going to be true of uh, us when we stand before God in heaven, when we are uh, brought into the new creation and we gaze upon the glory of Jesus, we can all look and say, the Lord is our shepherd, our heavenly shepherd. Here we are. We have no lack. That's true. But is it true now? And I want to say, yes, it can be true now. The kingdom of God, the life in the kingdom of God can begin and grow now. The experience of it can increase now. There's things we cannot get away from. There's limitations and suffering and aging and limited abilities we just cannot get away from. And yet the kingdom of God can still come in this life. Uh, I'm going to read to you a quote, and then I'm going to close, of the pastor of Dallas Willard. Um, can you put on the quote, Brian, just because I can't remember the pastor's name. Uh, there you go. Larry Bertoft was Dallas Willard's pastor. This little church of about 30 people, I believe, or something like that. And um, 
He said this about Dallas. He said, here was one who exuded peace. The reason I'm saying this is because I want to say it's possible to say this over you. It's possible for wherever you're from, whatever, whatever pastor you have, for them to be able to speak this over you, that this is how they know you, and, and you to speak this over me. Here was one who exuded peace, patience, and the freedom from self-absorption that is the hallmark of the truly unworried, the unconcerned, the carefree. Carefree, but not without care for others. Indeed, his freedom from any sense of personal threat was the other side of his freedom to show the compassion, openness, and kindness that anyone who knew him received. He had discovered the secret to gaining what people have sacrificed so much time, money, and relationships trying to possess. In a word, contentment. The context in which he says this about Dallas Willard is Dallas Willard's commentary on this verse. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. 